Let's just pray. Um, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 4 in a moment. Father, we want to thank you for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your love over us. And Father, we just pray now in the name of Jesus that we would honor you, that we would worship you in all that we do this week. And so, Father, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have been running marathons now probably for, I don't know, nearly 30 years. It's hard to believe. I know I look so young, but that's the way it goes. But, you know, even the very best time that I have been able to run is, is well, well over an hour slower than the elite athletes. Now, I'm fully aware that I am getting older and I am definitely slowing down, but I still know that the only way to be a decent runner is to train better, to eat well, and to stay healthy. And the desire to finish a race well is still what gets me out of the door, puts my running shoes on, even when it's cold outside, maybe even pouring with rain. And in running, like so many things in life, there's always the temptation for me to put things off until tomorrow. To sit there and think, you know what? I'll just put my feet up. I'll just turn the television on, open another bag of crisps, and just relax. Instead, I need to train myself to run better, to run faster. See, if you want to be physically fit, if you want to stay fit, you need to work hard at it. There are no shortcuts to this. And it just doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen without effort. But actually, the same thing is true of our spiritual fitness. In Paul's letter to Timothy, it's very apparent that Paul knows that he has been made perfect in Jesus. But at the same time, he also knows that he is not yet fully perfect because he is mature enough to understand that he has not yet finished and reached his goal. So just like the athlete, the mature Christian needs to honestly evaluate themselves and strive and press on to do better. And I think that is probably most beautifully summed up in the words of a song that's recorded in Psalm 41, which says, As the deer pants for flowing water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And this, this deep, this desperate longing for God and the truth of his words are central to this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's the reason why Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, to watch out for false teachers and to watch out for biblical error. Let's read what uh, Paul writes to Timothy. This is 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He says this, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times... Some will turn away from the true faith, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their conscience are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since... 
everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it by but receive it with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and by prayer. Now, now Paul's not panicking here, but he is concerned. This is serious, and, and Paul describes these false, this, these false teachers, this false gospel, as ultimately demonic. They are energized by Satan, verse 1. Satan, who is a liar, who's a, a manipulator, will use his lies to deceive people. And Paul has previously warned these Ephesian elders that false teachers would try to invade the church, and now they have arrived. And these false teachers have so hardened themselves that they have literally cauterized their own conscience. And their influence over others is causing them to abandon the faith, which raises one very important question. How do we tackle this? Well, the first thing that we need to do, as Paul says here, we need to be aware of the false teaching. That's where it needs to begin with. And Paul emphasizes three areas that can help us to, I guess, spot these false teachers. Now, this is difficult at times. It's not always easy to spot them. Such is the subtlety sometimes of their deception. But the first thing he says is that, that they lead, these false teachers, they lead people astray, verse 1. And one of the things that we need to look out for is that we need to be beware of preachers who just want to promote themselves. False teachers are actually more interested in themselves than they are in Jesus. And a preacher who's not encouraging people to have a deeper relationship with Jesus should, should actually be ringing alarm bells in our heads. The gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ needs to be our foundation. But listen for a moment. The gospel is not about you. Now, you benefit from it. It is, it is ultimately for our salvation, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And if teachers are simply wanting people to join their group, to give them money, to promote their program, stay away. Be very careful. The second thing that Paul says in, in warning against these false teachers is that they are hypocrites. This is verse 2. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, Jesus tells us that false teachers can be identified by their fruits. Jesus says, just as you identify a tree by its fruits, so you can identify people by their actions. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that it is not religious talk. It's not even performing miracles that qualifies a person for heaven. But it is by his grace that we are saved. And because of his wonderful grace over our lives, it produces this desire within us to do the will of God in every part of our lives. In fact, when you find what you'll find when you examine the life of a false teacher, they are not just doctrinally wrong, they are morally wrong. Because more often than not, an error of teaching comes as a result of this desire to carry on sinning in lives. And, what, and how Paul puts this, he says, it, it causes this cauterization of their own conscience, so they exchange biblical truth for false doctrine in order to pacify their own conscience. 
The third thing that says Paul warns about these false teachers is that they deny God's word. This is verses 3 to 5. Now, in Paul's day, the false teachers in Ephesus were combining Jewish legalism with Eastern self-denial. And they were telling people that an unmarried life was more spiritual than a married one. Whereas Scripture teaches that there is equal value in both. And that every person should follow the Word of God on this matter. They're also teaching that certain foods were wrong and that you were not spiritual if you ate certain things. Once again, the Bible teaches that God calls all of His creation good, and, and how we choose to eat is a matter for our own conscience and for our own health. And what we find so often is that false gospel springs out either of an overplaying or an underplaying of certain areas of life and faith. In Ephesians, it was this overemphasis of trying to withdraw from a fallen world that had led for this call for abstinence to marriage and to food. Listen, it is so important, so important that we have this whole Bible perspective of our faith. That we, we have a gospel-centered view of how we do life. Christ needs to be the center of it all. And listen, it's the gospel and our understanding of the complete Word of God that brings the right understanding of creation, of the fall, of salvation, and of a new creation, ultimately, of life itself. It is the gospel that brings the promise of redemption and a freedom to receive all created things as a gift from God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat, whatever you drink, or whatever, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And the issue of Jewish legalism may not be our problem today, but actually things haven't really changed that much. So even though the issues may have altered, the challenge of protecting the church from false teaching is equally as important today. But there is a second way of tackling false teaching, and that is to make sure that you know the truth and that you are precise about your theology. So the emphasis here is put on every Christian, but actually particularly on pastors, on elders, on church leaders, and the need to spend time in the Word of God and time in prayer, verse 5. It should be no surprise to us that Paul reminds young Timothy of this great responsibility to study, to teach, to preach the Scriptures, to spend time in prayer. And it, it it becomes all the more important when there is so much false teaching around. After all, if you're going to spot error, you need to know the truth. However, let me just add a little cautionary word here. Although there is this need to warn against false teaching, it should not become an obsession in our lives. Instead, the whole counsel of God must be taught. And it's so important that we preach a positive doctrine so that people know what they should believe, but also where they are going. While at the same time, we need to be able to point out and expose false teaching so that people are not seduced or led astray. 
But even more important is that preachers, teachers, pastors should equip every Christian to feed daily on the Word of God. Listen, if you are a preacher or a church leader in whatever level, whether it be small group, maybe even just on a one-to-one basis, you need to make sure that you are growing in the Word. You cannot feed someone else the Word of God if you're not being nourished by it yourself. Day by day, week after week, year upon year, and it's not enough to preach the Word. It must be practiced within your life. And this issue of being strengthened and nourished with the truth of the Word of God is so important to Paul that he emphasizes again in the next five verses. And to do this, he uses the very popular athletic illustration, and he applies this to the practice of spiritual exercise within our lives as believers with a very simple message, which is to keep yourself gospel fit. Let's read on. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life that is to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Now, our bodies are God's temple, and they are to be used for His glory, ultimately for His service. So you should care for your body. You should look after it. And regular exercise is a good way of doing this. And and Paul's point here is actually very obvious, is it not? In a similar way that bodily exercise will benefit you in this life, godly exercise will benefit you for now and for all all of eternity. And you will notice that Paul is not asking Timothy to choose between the two. I think God expects us to practice both. A healthy body can be used by God. However, our main focus should be on holiness and on godliness. Philip Brooks puts it like this. He says, the great purpose of life is the shaping of character by truth. And I hope you know that that godly character and conduct are far more important than golf trophies or marathon medals, although, of course, it is possible to have both. But Paul's point here urges Timothy to understand that in the devotion to godliness, it should be at a greater level of devotion than any athlete will ever have to their sport. You must never forget that you are living for now and for eternity. So to help us get our heads around this, 
it's maybe helpful to look at some of the marks of an athlete that should also be applied to your pursuit of godliness. The first one is this. Devotion and focus. The secret to growing stronger in anything is to concentrate on one thing. You need to be focused. You know, it's, it's very easy for us to get so involved in so many different activities and some of us spread ourselves so thin that we don't do anything very well. An example of this is found in a decision to focus on one thing which became the turning point in the life of D.L. Moody. Before the tragedy of the Chicago fire in 1871, Mr. Moody was involved in Sunday school promotions, the YMCA, evangelistic meetings, and many other different activities. But after the fire, he devoted himself exclusively to evangelism. It was then that he saw real breakthrough. Paul uses a phrase in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, which really highlights this point. He said, one thing I do. One thing I do. And because this became his reality and his focus, millions of people heard the gospel, certainly initially through his preaching, but mostly through his writing and through the scriptures that we have even today. A true follower of Jesus must devote themselves to running the Christian race. And see, no athlete succeeds by doing everything. Instead, they succeed by specializing. Remember a number of years back, I just ran a marathon in a time that I was extremely pleased with. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to try one of those triathlons. So I decided to go for a swim. I felt really, really fit. But to my shock, I could hardly swim the length of the pool before I was literally gasping for air and I had to stop. Running 26 miles seemed really easy in comparison to trying to swim a 25-meter pool. It didn't make sense. The truth is, I was running fit, but I was not swimming fit. And there are very few athletes that are proficient in lots of different areas and different sports. And you need, you can be sure of one thing, that the person who wins the gold medals are those that concentrate, those that focus on one activity, who keep their eyes on the goal, who let nothing else distract them, who are devoted entirely to their calling. James says, a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. James chapter 1, verse 8. That's why Paul writes here in 1 Timothy 4, he says, train yourself to be godly. Because focused training will make you strong, it will make you powerful, like a river that is dammed and controlled becomes a great source of power, so is the devoted mind. It's so important that you live for what really matters. Train yourself to be godly. The second thing is that we need to be determined. We need determination. 
You need to work hard. You need to persevere. You need to keep pressing on. You see, no athlete becomes a winning athlete by listening to lectures or reading books or, or watching inspiring documentaries or even cheering along from the sidelines. No, you become a winning athlete by getting into the games, by training hard, and then by being determined to win. But there are two extremes that we need to avoid as Christians. The first is this, I must do it all. The second is God must do it all. And both are heading for failure. Let go and let God may seem like a clever slogan to live by, but it actually doesn't describe the process in the Christian life. In the same way that a captain cannot say to his rugby team or his football team, you know what, okay guys, let go and let the, let the coach do it all. It's just not going to work any more than, than saying, guys, listen to me, forget everything the coach has said, listen to what I'm telling you. See, both extremes are wrong. And the Christian runner with the godly mind realizes that God must work in them if they are going to win the race. But the purpose of God working in you is so that he can work through you. That's why Paul tells Timothy twice in this passage, yes, train yourselves to be godly. Because some Christians get, get, are so busy denying themselves that they never come back to life again to run the race. While others are so sure that they can make it on their own that they never stop to read God's word or to pray or to ask for the power of God and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, we need to press on, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. This should be our goal. This is the reward that is waiting for you. And again, it must be emphasized that Paul is not saying that, that we reach heaven by our own efforts. No, it is through Christ alone, by faith alone, by his grace alone. He's simply saying that just as the athlete is rewarded by his or her performance, so is the faithful believer. So the faithful believer will be crowned when Jesus returns with a crown that will never, never fade. See, no matter how successful you may think you are in the eyes of men, you cannot be rewarded unless you realize that your hope is in the living God who is Savior of all. So run your race with determinations, but acknowledge of your desperate, your total need of Christ every single step of the way. The third thing is be disciplined. It's difficult enough to run hard, but the runner must also obey the rules. In all running events, there are rules, and the rules are pretty strict. So you take the 100 meters as an example of this. You're not allowed to false start. You're not allowed to run outside of your lane. Break the rules, and you will not reach your goal. You will not finish. In a similar way, Paul emphasizes the importance for the Christian to remember the spiritual rules laid down in Scripture. They are both our instruction, but also our sustenance. That's why Paul writes, it says, be nourished 
by the message of the faith and by the good teaching you have followed. And this is what Paul was thinking when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 20 to 27. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get the crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike blows to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. And just like the athlete, you must train hard. You must obey the rules. You must eat well, nourish yourself well. And the reason that we discipline ourselves is so that we will receive the prize, so that we're going to finish well. Unfortunately, the Bible and church history is filled with people who began the race well, but failed before the end because they didn't obey God. They didn't finish well. It's not that they necessarily lost their faith, but they lose their reward. And it happened to Lot, to Samson, to King Saul, to Ananias and Sapphira. Listen, it can happen, it can happen to you. There's no getting around it. In the demands, and the, it, it's, there are challenges and just simply demands in running the Christian race. It's quite hard sometimes to keep following Jesus, is it not? But it's also exciting. But it's going to be even more exciting one day when we stand before Jesus, when we see him face to face, and you receive your reward, and you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't stop running. You see, starting is easy. Finishing well takes courage. It takes devotion. It takes direction. It takes determination. And it takes discipline. And like Paul, it means knowing that you are not there yet. It means keeping our eyes on the wonderful prize ahead of us, the certain hope of being with Jesus forever. It takes us time to get our heads around these things sometimes as we grow in maturity and in godliness. But the main thing, keep going. Keep going. And this is not just a race. It's a chase. I don't know about you, but I always find it much, I find it much easier to run a little bit faster when I'm chasing after somebody else, trying to follow somebody else. And perhaps it's just my competitive nature. I just want to get, catch up with them and maybe pass them. Listen, you are chasing after Jesus. You are pursuing him. There was a time when Jesus first chased after you, took hold of your life. But now that you belong to him, he wants to bring you home. He calls you to chase after him as you follow him to glory. You need his help in this. You need to be filled with his spirit to enable you to pursue him and to obey him. Run after him. Finish well for the glory of God, for joy everlasting. But this, this race is not just about you. As you exercise yourself in godly living, it is not only profitable for you, but it's profitable for others and for, 
Because as you do this, you just set a good example to those around you. You encourage others. So let's get practical for a moment. Perhaps maybe a little bit of homework, if that's okay. Why not get alongside someone this week? I know we've got to respect our social distancing, but there are different ways we can do this. But as you get alongside them, why not tell them what God has been speaking to you? Tell them what you've been hearing from God's Word, what you've been learning from the Bible. And remember, as you do this, you're exercising your theological muscle, your spiritual muscles. It'll stop you from getting flabby. But also another benefit in this as well, training in godliness with other people prepares you for now and for the future. And while it keeps you spiritually fit, it also helps to protect you against overplaying one area of doctrine that can so easily lead into error. We live in the now and the not yet, striving on earth now, but with our future hope in the living God. And if you want to live in truth, you need to center your life on Christ and the gospel, and you need accountability to do this well. So if you're going to avoid error, you need to build up your spiritual muscles, and this requires time in the Word of God, studying it by yourself, but also alongside others as well. But let me just say as I finish, be careful who you listen to. There is much poor teaching out there on the internet. Not everything you hear is necessarily profitable for you. There are people out there who will tickle your ears but sometimes it's absolute junk food. People like Joel Olstein, Rob Bell, may tell you what you want to hear, but it's not good food because it's not solid biblical teaching. Listen, self-help advice will not build godliness into your life. Can I recommend some podcasts if that's okay, if you just want to, if you find it easy to listen to stuff? People like Matt Chalner or um, John Piper, Alistair Begg, Terry Virgo. We have a whole list on our website, of course, of our, of our own sermons, which um, you can have a look at again as well. But can I tell you this? Feed yourselves well. Feed yourselves well. Just because someone is high up on the number 10 list on a podcast on the internet doesn't necessarily mean you want to be listening to them. But one more thing. There is no substitute for spending time in the Word of God yourself. Read the Scriptures. Read them, allow them to shape you and to change you. So how are you going to keep gospel fit this week? What changes perhaps do you need to make to your own life? Who are you going to speak to? Who are you going to come alongside to bless them? Who are you going to be asked even to come alongside you to bless and to encourage you? Let's just pray as we finish. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, we admit it's challenging. Lord, we admit, we admit Lord God, this, this Christian race is difficult at times, and at times we slow down, at times we, we struggle, at times we, we get sidetracked. But Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us, and we thank you, Lord, for your word that shapes us. And so, Father, we pray this morning 
as we just center ourselves on you, as we reflect on our life, as we just maybe ask some questions of our lives, as we evaluate where we're going and how well we're running, come Holy Spirit, come and just minister to us, come and speak to us, come and bring conviction where that is necessary. But Lord, this week, give us the focus, determination by your grace to keep pressing on. And Lord, when that day comes, Father, may it be said of us that we have finished well for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.